0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555.
1: All right. Back to gardening on a what's going to be just a beautiful morning. I tell you, if you haven't got out yet, you're going to be surprised at what a pleasant temperature it is. It was in the 50s at my house in Bernie and, uh, and 60s here in San Antonio. And hey, when we get along toward Mother's Day and we're getting this kind of cool morning, it is sure fine by me. Two lines open, two lines filled. We're going to talk to Sandy and Paula. You know the number if you want to get in, 210-599-5555. So let's start with the first caller. That would be Sandy. Good morning, Sandy. Yes,
2: uh, I had talked to you about a month and a half ago about uh, cutting down my iron plants to let them. Yeah,
1: cast iron, you know, right? Yes.
2: Uh huh. Is it? Sticking? I didn't do it. <laughs> <Is> it too <laughs> late to go ahead and do it.
1: Well, here's the thing, and uh you've made it a little bit harder for yourself because at this late date, you can't through and just go through with the lawnmower and mow everything off. What you're going to have to do is start at the edge... And just go along and cut out the old leaves. But you're going to see your little new leaves are starting to come up and unroll. And it's just now going to be selectively going through and cutting out the old leaves. But if you go through and just whack it off all at one level, all those new ones coming out where you cut the top off of them, they're always going to have brown edges. So uh, it's not too late to cut the big ones back, but you can't just go through and mow the whole bed down. You're just going to have to go through frond by frond, pruners and one hand and the other hand just kind of moving things back and forth so you can see what you're doing but it's not too late to thin out the older fro the older leaves let the new ones come out but no, uh, you can't just can't just mow it off like we could have a month yeah, they're ago
2: in a, they're in a big planter brick planter yep. yep. I don't know if that makes a difference or not but uh, I didn't water them you know and with our dry spell and everything they're pretty pretty well browned
1: yeah. Well, I would I would definitely water them and then like I say you can go through and cut back all the leaves that look no bad. But, um, again, just don't just don't go through and mow everything down, because I think when you start thinning out the older leaves, you're going to see some nice, strong new green ones coming out from below. And that's the nice thing about Aspidistra. When you cut them back, they're going to look bad for three or four weeks. But this time of year, all of a sudden, they're prettier than they have ever been. But I would definitely water them. I would definitely throw a little bit of organic fertilizer in that planter as well.
2: Okay, and can you use the uh you can you use Color Essentials inside or is that too smelly?
1: It doesn't no, it's not really bad smelling. Color Essentials is a maestro grow products and uh it does not have any manures in it. It's based on, you know, feather meal and alfalfa and all sorts of good things. Mm-hmm. So uh it is not quite as fast acting as a liquid fertilizer, but it's perfectly fine to use inside and uh will have virtually no smell to it at all if anything it has sort of a you know a pleasant alfalfa smell but mm-hmm. because there are no manures it does does not have any any disagreeable aromatic qualities shall we say
2: okay and can i use those on uh oh, excuse me i i use that every four weeks is that correct on my flowering yeah.
1: You know, every every four to eight weeks, uh, every four weeks would be nice. But if it's every six or eight weeks, it is a naturally slow-release product. So uh, I, I kind of aim at maybe every six weeks. And uh, if you get it done a little more often, if you get it done a little less often, your plants are still going to do well.
2: Okay. And the last one is I've got some garlic chives and a chili patine bush. Can I use, uh, what, the regular fertilizer on that
1: are these You're in pots fertilizer. or are these in the ground in the yeah, ground or in pots yeah they're just on. use yeah you can use uh i use use a growing green or you know any of the any of the good basics uh, nature's creation makes a good one called premium Lawn food that's actually good for lots of things uh maestro grow makes their texas team medina makes their growing green all of those will be just fine on your uh, chili pecans and all
2: What do you – I always buy color essentials from you, and then I buy an organic uh, Mm -hmm. one also from you. It's in a plastic bag.
1: Yeah, we – and again, I don't brag about our own – product lines, because when we find a product we just love, we go to the people that make it and say, how would you make it better? And then we have them do that for us. That's how Color Essentials came about, is we love Maestro Gro's Rose Glow product, and so we went to Gary DeMasters, that owned the company at the time, and said, how would you make it better, Gary? And he added a few other things to it, and we call it Color Essentials. We love Medina's Growing Green products, so we went to Stuart Frankie and said, Stuart, how would you make it better? And he said, oh, more green sand and more and so we have one, and again, I don't talk about this all the time Because obviously the uh, only place you can get it is shades of green And I'm about to promote everybody, not just us But what we call landscape essentials is just uh, Medina's growing green With extra green sand and extra humates uh, uh, did raise the price and he just put some more good stuff in it So uh, if you were buying it from us, we carry the growing green And then we carry the one they make for us so we call landscape essentials
2: Okay. Well, the color essentials. I mean, I've never had a better fertilizer than that. I mean, it <laughs> for, keeps my plants blooming. So, i would well from you on that. <laughs>
1: well, we appreciate that, and that's the way, way we felt. You know, we thought Rose Glow was just absolutely outstanding, and then they took it and made it a little better still for us. So, uh, we're extremely pleased to uh, just to have a good working relationship with companies like that, so that we can. Truly try to bring you the best of the best, but there are lots of good fertilizers out there, and it's kind of like uh, you know, you know what? You'd rather eat prime rib than eat a hamburger, but hamburger's not mm-hmm. too bad if you're hungry. So uh, any okay. of them work real well, but we we sure do like the Color Essentials. Okay, any
2: any organic will be safe on my chives and chili patina. It'd be or
1: safe else? for the plants and safe for you. Yes, that's exactly okay. right.
2: Okay, thank you so much.
1: Always good to talk to you You have a wonderful weekend and a happy Mother's Day, Sandy you
3: Thank,
1: Thank you kindly <laughs> Goodbye For us, it's a very special day because uh we actually opened Shades of Green on Mother's Day Oh, 39 years ago I must have only been 10 years old at the time But yeah, very special day tomorrow And let's talk to another lady Let's talk to Paula Good morning, Paula Good morning Good morning
4: um, I have several questions. My first one is last week I heard I got in and the end of the story but there is a new nutgrass killer or there's one being formulated. Can you update me on that?
1: Well, it's not really new. Um we kill nutsedge sedge uh with uh with molasses. Uh nut sedge is basically a plant that loves Super high moisture conditions, which results in anaerobic soil, which is uh, uh, not real good for a lot of things, but the sedge really likes kind of poor conditions to grow in. When we... Treat the area that it's growing with dry molasses. We bring in a lot of favorable microbial activity. We simply get things going to the point that the nuts edge doesn't tolerate it very well. It starts rotting. It's not like you put on your molasses one day and everything will be brown the next day, but, um, uh, we just do fairly concentrated molasses, maybe a quarter of a cup of molasses to a gallon of water. We drench the area where we have the nuts edge. And just a couple of weeks later, all of a sudden, you notice that it's just yellowing and going away, and, uh, and that's uh, we've been recommending that for some time. I don't know that there's a specific product out there. The only products that I know of are things like Image and Manage, which are both very toxic weed killers that I would never put in my landscape. But uh, we do a pretty good job of lemon nut sedge with uh, just molasses and water.
4: And you said what to a gallon of water?
1: It's, you know, and I don't usually measure. It's somewhere between a quarter of a cup and half a cup. Uh, probably somewhere okay. between four to eight ounces of it to a gallon of water. And again, it's not really a foliar spray. I do it in a watering can and then just kind of pour it over the area. And gosh, I've pretty much eliminated nut sedge. I very rarely even see nut sedge anymore, but uh, the molasses and water really seems to take care of it.
4: Okay. Um, my next question is, I, is it okay to use those mosquito donuts, and I have a fountain to keep yes. the mosquitoes from breeding. Is it okay for the birds to drink it? Oh, I guess oh yeah.
1: Yeah, it's fine for the birds. Yeah, it's, it's it's now, unless you have a huge fountain, you probably don't need to put the whole donut in there. They're called mosquito dunks. You can probably break that little donut into about four pieces, and uh, that'll save you a lot of money because... Uh, wouldn't hurt anything, but it would just be kind of overkill. But, no, it does not bother the birds. It does not bother anything that bathes or swims or drinks up from your fountain. It's a, it's, it's a bacterial product. It's called BTI, Bacillus thuringiensis israeliensis, and it's harmless to birds and pets and people.
4: Okay. Several weeks ago, you mentioned a gentleman's name, Sam. That could do various things in your yard, but I didn't yes. get his phone.
1: Well, his, his uh, business name is Green Grow, G-R-O-W, Green Grow Organics. His name is Sam Sitterly. His uh, phone number is 275-8200. That's a 210 area code, of course, but uh, 275-8200. And, uh, yeah, he he specializes in compost teas, fertilizer, natural control for everything from grub worms to thrips, and uh, been doing it for about 30 years. So lots of experience and nothing toxic when Sam does it.
4: Okay. And that's my last question is, Um, I'm pretty sure you carry ladybug products, and they have, I think it's Vortex.
1: Vortex potting soil, yes, uh uh-huh.
4: You have that at the nursery?
1: We do carry that. We carry a couple of potting soils. Nature's Creation also makes a very good uh, potting soil, and we carry that, and we carry the Vortex. We sure do.
4: Okay, there's. Is there any? I used to years ago, I used to use BACDO potting soil. I swore by BACDO, but I right. can't find it. I've looked on the internet and
1: everything. It's is well yeah backtoe was based on a black peat moss called Michigan peat, a pretty highly decomposed peat moss coming out of Michigan uh The newer products, the vortex and the nature's creation are both a very superior product as far as the health of the plants, also in an environmental since uh peat moss is just not a renewable resource and i think they practically mined out they were digging it up in minnesota and i think they basically practically ran out of it so um i think you'll find either the vortex or the nature's creation potting soil to be to be a better product than the than the back toe was
4: okay i appreciate all your help and i uh, really enjoy your show
1: Polly, you're most kind, and I wish you a happy Mother's Day, and uh, we look forward to visiting again. Thank you so much. All right, let's get back to gardening. Phone line's filled up again. It's going to be Beverly and Billy and James and Elaine, and let's just start out with Beverly. Good morning, Beverly. Good morning. Good morning.
2: morning. I have a 30-by-5-foot raised garden. That we built back in 03 and okay. put in um, organic soil, did really nice for a few years, and now it is full of little fine red roots uh-huh. that I can't hardly, when I put a digging cork in there, I can't hardly tear them out.
1: <laughs> well unfortunately what happens is you create a nice batch of soil and whatever trees or shrubs usually trees are in the area that's where they're going to want to send all their roots and i mean we've had them early days of the nursery we actually had a couple of old ash trees that came with the property thank god they're gone now but they would actually grow roots up Into the bottom, we had some big whiskey barrels full of uh, blooming plants. And those blasted roots that actually come up out of the ground and up through the holes in the bottom of the whiskey barrels. And first thing you know, we could hardly get a, a little spade in to plant anything because there were so many roots. And unfortunately, there's not any real good solution except just... Just basically dig them out uh, because you've just, you know, that's the place where the nutrients are. That's the place where the water is, and it's probably going to just be find somebody with a nice, strong back that will come help you and just go through, go around the edge, dig down with a sharp shovel, and just cut the roots, and then kind of get in there with your spading fork or whatever else, turn it over and and pull the roots out as best you can, or else you can just, you know, go on just digging holes through the roots and planting. Things are still going to grow just fine, but uh, what you've got is just is a nearby tree that has suddenly found the best soil in, uh, you know, the best soil in Beverly's whole yard, and so that's where it's putting all its roots.
2: Okay. So I was hoping there was some magic potion i could put in
1: there (laughs) i wish there was but uh i you know it's just mother nature at work uh she wants the roots to go where they have the the best life so to speak and uh Beverly's beautiful raised bed is just the best soil they can find and so one root gets in there it just starts multiplying and multiplying and multiplying and at sometimes when you do a really high bed people will put this stuff they call root block on the bottom but I find that over time it breaks down a little bit and the roots make their way into it anyway and it's just about it's about every three years you just have to go through and kind of clean out the roots that are coming up in there and go back to planting what you want to grow instead of what Mother Nature wants to grow in there.
2: All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it.
1: Well, it's really
2: enjoy your show.
1: (laughs) You're most kind, and I enjoy talking to you. So you get out and have a wonderful day today, tomorrow, and every day, and I'll look forward to visiting again, Beverly. Thanks for the call. (laughs) Goodbye. All right, let's talk to Billy. Good morning, Billy morning, Dr. Webster.
5: Uh, I've got a. Can you educate me a little bit on drip
1: irrigation? I will happily do that. And um, there are basically two, I guess uh, some people would say three kinds of drip irrigation. Uh, the one that you know, that a lot of the box stores and things push are soaker hoses. And I think those are one of the worst inventions in the world because, uh, it's a good idea, but a soaker hose ends up putting out about 80% of its water in the first 20% of the hose. So it, uh, it, it doesn't water evenly. So I'm not a fan of soaker hoses. The second type of drip irrigation is where You have, in effect, a water supply line, and then you punch little pieces of fine, we call it spaghetti tubing, down in there, and you put a little emitter down at the base of the plants, and it's it's just kind of like having a water line running along and a bunch of different hydrants coming off of it. Uh, And and it is just basically usually about a three-quarter inch uh, line, and then they put in these little side chutes that come out. The problem with those, and some people do okay with them, but in San Antonio and the Hill Country, and I guess really lots of South Texas, uh, our problem is that they tend to plug up with calcium awfully quickly, and the only way that you know that your drip's not working is when the plants in one area start dying, and it's simply because the line got plugged up, and all of a sudden, that portion of the drip system is not putting out the water that the plants need, so... That brings us to the third type of drip irrigation, which is what I find works really very well. And they call it in-line, um, kind of a uh, long name, but they call it pressure-compensated tubing. And what it is going to be, it's a it's a half-inch line. The best one I've found is made by Rainbird, And it's got this little built-in emitter every 12 inches. Uh, these little emitters, they have... Uh, a little screen in there that keeps roots from getting into them. I have never had any problem with calcium buildup. I've had the, the inline drip, I guess for about five years is as long as I've been using it, but, uh, my original lines are still working just fine. It's not terribly expensive, uh, somewhere like 60 or 70 cents a foot. But the real beauty of it is that with this little built-in emitter, and it's not just a hole in the tube, it's got a pretty complex little thing. I don't know how they can make it and still sell it so cheaply. But I've got one run of that in my garden that's probably 200 feet long, and I get exactly the same amount of water out of the end emitter as I do out of the first one in the line. So I find that it waters very evenly. At uh, Each one of those little emitters puts out nine-tenths of a gallon per hour, so it's a slow, steady drip and... I use that in my vegetable garden. My business partner use it is, uses it in her flower beds uh, where she's growing annuals and perennials and, you know, various permanent things. So, um, those are the three common types of drip systems. And uh, my favorite is the inline, what they call pressure compensated tubing by Rainbird. I think you'll find it available. Uh, at most good nurseries, I think you'll probably also find it at lots of the box stores. If you want somebody to help install it, uh S.A. Rainmaker here in town. Uh Bill's actually the guy that originally turned me on to this stuff. But I know they use it. They use it for grass. Uh, the city won't let you put uh, sprinkler heads out in that little strip between the sidewalk and the curb. And so Bill actually uses it uh, as a as an effective way of watering grass I use it he of course buries it I tend to leave it up on the surface because I you know sometimes go in and tee off of it and add a little bit more here and there but uh, it's called pressure compensated drip tubing by Rainbird and I guess the one other hint that I would tell you the little L's and T's and things like that you use to create the system um, what you do is take your piece of tubing, and I just carry, you know, my old Starbucks mug of hot water, stick that piece of tubing down in there for 15 seconds or so. The heat softens that uh, tubing to where you can slide the emitters in real easily. If you, if you just use the tubing cold, you really have to work to push in it's, uh, oh, the little, they're sort of barbed looking, but the, to push the L's and T's in. But if you carry a little thing of hot water and then just stick the tubing down in there for a few seconds, boy, the little connectors just slide in and be sure you're, you have everything the right length because it's virtually impossible to pull them out once you've slid them in there. But it's, uh, it's a job anybody can do. You want to lay out the area that you want to apply it, but it's, uh, very simple, very quick. Uh, and like I say, I've had it in place for several years with no problems. The one thing that I have found is that the little L's and T's, which are a rigid plastic rather than a flexible plastic, but over time they do become brittle, so I try to put a, just a scoop of mulch or, you know, something over the top of them so they don't get so much sunlight, but, uh, uh, if there's any negative to the system, that's what I found. That after two or three years, little connectors uh, get brittle, but they're really easy to replace if one of them breaks. So uh, um, that's that's the long and the short of it.
5: I, I appreciate that. I've done a little research, and I was debating about going that route or doing your number two option or whatever, and I was a little yep. leery about that, and I. Remember, you'd talked about it. I'd heard you talk about it a little bit before. So on a 14-foot by 60-foot area, would I run, how far apart would I need to run, and this would be for a vegetable garden,
1: how many runs should I make down through there? Well, everywhere that I have a row of plants, whether it's tomato plants or pepper plants or okra, I will put... You know, two lengths of the tubing about 12 inches apart. I just, you know, love okay. having water, you know, coming at it from both sides. And um okay. I... I I wouldn't worry about trying to do, you know, just a regular grid throughout the thing. I would just kind of lay out where you're gonna have your rows in that uh that's a pretty nice little area, fourteen by sixty, you grow a lot of stuff. But uh I would just do two little runs and connect it down at the end so it makes a continuous loop. But I just do two runs of the drip tubing for uh along each row and uh you know, you can get as fancy or as simple as you want. Uh, simplest thing is just to put the connector on the end where you can hook a garden hose to it and turn it on and off at the hydrant. Uh, because I do occasionally go out of town for several days, whether it's to a gift market or occasionally to actually do a little fly fishing in the mountains, which sure sounds good right now. But uh, I, I oh, put uh, <laughs> I, uh, I I put the uh, the electric solenoids on it just like a sprinkler system, and my system waters automatically even when I sneak out of town for a few days. So uh, you can make it as simple or as complex as you want. just depends on how much time you want to spend turning it on and off. But uh, that's. Um, I guess I should mention there is one other thing they call T-tape, which is very inexpensive that I know uh, a lot of commercial growers use. But basically it's designed to stay down for one season, and then you pull it up and replace it the next. I just don't like putting that much plastic into the environment and then ripping it up and disposing of it. So I still go with pressure-compensated drip. But uh, in some situations, uh, the T-tape is a a real cheap and pretty efficient way of uh, watering as well.
5: Okay. Do you all sell it and all the fittings as well?
1: Yeah, we sure do. Okay. And I right. should mention that Rainbird also makes a blank line which has no emitters in it, so if you're running you know if your rows are fairly far apart, you can always use a little short piece of that, or if you want to run a line from the hydrant out to the garden um they they make the solid brown plastic uh line that has no emitters in it, uh which is also very useful in some areas.
6: Well,
5: what we've got this is down at the ranch down around Crystal we uh-huh. uh when we bought it there was an existing trailer house sitting on it and they went and poured a concrete footing all the way around it so they could underpin it sure. and we moved the trailer and everything and I thought man that would be an ideal place so uh-huh. uh, to do this the only other deal we've also got a pond right there which has a submersible pump in it mm-hmm. and that's what we do a little bit of our landscape watering out of I would pick up a little algae from time to
1: time. Would that be a problem? Algae wouldn't be a problem, but if you're picking up much particulate matter, I'd put a little filter in there that uh, you can clean periodically. And I probably should mention, you just brought up a real important point, Billy. A lot of people use this stuff to put around their foundations. When we get dry, you know, having the soils, not so much down where you are, but uh, where we have clay soils, that... Wet, dry, wet, dry, wet, dry cycle can really mess up a foundation, as a lot of people have learned to their uh, expensive uh, dismay. But uh, a lot of people will just run a line of this all the way around the foundation to keep uh, even moisture level around the slab, and uh, sure heads off a lot of foundation problems.
5: Excellent. Second question: Diatomaceous earth for warming goats?
1: Uh huh. Will that work? Yes, sir yes sir it it works differently than it does in killing fire ants it is an irritant to the intestine of a goat or a cow or a horse or whatever And uh, it's kind of an abrasive And the goat or, or whatever animal It forms like a mucus ball That just basically sweeps the intestinal parasites out Now, it's not going to do anything against heartworms Or liver flukes or things like that But intestinal parasites, which are usually your roundworms Your ascarids and a lot of others uh, The DE is very effective uh you know as a a safe natural wormer for all kinds of intestinal parasites.
5: Bob, I tell you, you are just a wealth of information. I really, really
1: appreciate it. <laughs> well, I started in my grandfather's greenhouse when I was five years old. My training is as a research biologist, so I've got a weird mind. It forgets all the things I want to remember, like people's names, but it remembers some of the things that I want to forget. But uh things related to plants and animals tend to stay there for a long time, so I'm very blessed to be in the business I'm in, I guess. Billy, you get out and have uh, a... uh Wonderful weekend. Wish all the ladies in your life a very happy Mother's Day. You got it. Thank you, sir. And Elaine's up first. Good morning, Elaine.
2: Good morning. How are you?
1: I'm well. How are you doing this beautiful morning?
2: I'm very, very good. My question is about harlequin bugs on my kale plants. Uh Uh-huh. How do I control that? Do I use the spinosad soap or do I mix it with anything else? How do I use it most effectively or what Uh do I
7: do?
1: Well, you're not going to like the answer. <laughs> the answer is it's time to pull up the kale and plant something else. We're right at the End of the season on kale, unfortunately. Now, if you want to spray them, uh the spinosad soap will take care of them. But you're going to find for every 100 that you kill, 150 new ones show up. And, uh, you know, that's the, the good and the bad of harlequin bugs is they don't come around when the plants are healthy and growing vigorously in the cool weather. The bad news is that once the plants start getting stressed from the hot weather, their armies of harlequin bugs show up and go after them. So um, you can use the old thumb and forefinger method. If you're wearing gloves, you can spray them with spinosad soap, which will uh, limit them. Now, is this edible kale or is this more ornamental kale? No,
3: it's edible
1: yeah it's the flavor of your kale is gonna really start diminishing now that the weather's getting hotter, so much as I love the Toscano kale uh mines well, next day off's going to be end of my kale, and uh I've pretty much stopped harvesting it because it just doesn't have the flavor that it did early in the season, so you can spray if you want to, but I just pull it out and plant some okra or some more peppers or some more squash or something like that
2: squash
1: bugs how do you control those things the spinosad soap will take care of them what i have always found on the squash bugs is that if you get after them early in the season when you first see those big old gray bugs show up and uh again i'm afraid i usually just use the old thumb and forefinger method but if you'll keep them picked off for the first month uh, before they have a chance to lay the eggs, I very rarely have a problem later in the summer. Now, the spinosad soap works against them, and it works very quickly against the little newly hatched ones that are usually kind of white to gray in color. But uh I find that if I walk through the garden with a hose and wet down, all the adult bugs come running up right on the top of the leaves, and they're pretty easy to eliminate that way. But um, if you can control, say, the first... Oh, thirty or forty mature ones that show up, and I'm sure you know what. The, do you know what the egg clusters look like? They'll be on the back of the leaves, and they're just a whole, you know, mass of little kind of reddish brown eggs that are the size of a grain of salt, and there'll always be a big cluster of them usually i want to say somewhere between 10 and 35 eggs in a cluster if they get ahead of me and i actually find one of little egg clusters um i just take my thumbnail and kind of excise out that little portion of the leaf uh put it in some soapy water which eliminates it but i feel like with uh with the squash bugs staying ahead of them is the most important thing the ones that you miss the spinos head soap will take care of
2: So back to those harlequin bugs, there's not really any effective way to control them once they start coming out.
1: Well, it, yes, you can. the The spinosad soap will work, but it's it's just to what purpose? Because your kale is just not going to be not going to taste real good now that the weather's gotten hotter, and the bugs are just going to keep on coming back over and over because they sense that the plant is stressed, and that's when they want to move in and feed on the plant. So, if you could arrange to have California weather throughout the spring, and uh, then they're rarely a problem problem ever just as soon as we start getting those warm warm days your kale starts getting stressed as soon as the kale starts getting stressed the harlequin bugs move in
2: okay so it's goodbye to my kale plants
1: I do have <laughs> it's goodbye to your kale the good news is that uh blink twice it'll be october and it'll be time to plant some more
2: yes <laughs> okay well thank you so very much i appreciate the information
1: well you're certainly welcome it's good to talk to you and a very happy mother's day to you Thanks, Thank Elaine. You. Certainly. Awesome. Goodbye. All right. Listen, uh I tell you what, let me get my last break of the hour in here because I don't want to be pushing right up against news. Uh, just a moment, we'll talk to Mike and Tom and Janine, but I get to talk to you for a moment about Southwest Metal Roofing Systems and... uh You know how I feel about them, because that's the roof I have on my home. That's the roof we have on Shades of Green. That's the roof my business partner and her husband have on their home. Simply the best roof in the industry, in my opinion. Our roofs have stood up to hail, to high wind, to all those things that tear up other roofs. And our Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roofs just keep on looking beautiful. And you know it's just peace of mind it's truly the last roof they'll ever you'll ever put on your home they give you the best warranty in the industry it's real simple they never have to come out and do anything I just chuckle when I hear all these other roofing companies advertise how quick they are to get out and do repairs and temporary patches you just never have to do that with the Southwest metal roofing systems roof because they do the job right the first time and if you don't like the look of a shiny standing sea metal roof well you have your choice of lots of colors if you don't like the the look of standing seam metal, you've got roofs that look like ceramic tile or slate or shake shingles, all out of that same lifetime quality material. The workmanship is just it's just unsurpassable. If you simply want the best roof, a trouble free roof, a roof that'll save you money on your energy bills and on your insurance, a roof that you never have to worry about. Uh, you just give my friends over at Southwest Metal Roofing Systems a call, 210-822-6868. That's 210-822-6868 for Southwest Metal Roofing Systems
8: restore the natural balance in your fields or lawn with Viatrack fertilizer. Viatrac is totally organic, naturally composted broiler litter that contains over 2700 strains of active living bacteria and fungus that your soil needs to live Viatrac is pelletized, making it easily spreadable, clump free and without obnoxious odors use it on your landscaping, plants trees, pastures, hay fields and more. Viatrack is available by the bulk truckload, one ton Super Sack or 40-pound bags, perfect for your ranch, lawn, or garden needs. To find out more about Viatrack Fertilizer, log on to ViatrackFertilizer.com or visit Lubianski Grain and Feed Store at 13640 FM 1346 in St. Hedwig or call 210-667-1032 or 210-667-9705. Lubiansky Feed and Grain Stores offers Viatrack by the bulk load or 40-pound bags for your ranch, lawn, and garden needs. Viatrack Fertilizer. Feed the soil. Feed the water world. The impact of COVID-19 continues to affect every company in unprecedented ways. But now there's a plan to help you and your business get back on your feet. Hi, I'm Jason Bailey, president and founder of Sun Broadcast Group, a national radio syndicator who works with this local station.
0: And I'm Jeff James, founder of Vista 14 and 20 plus year marketing veteran. Together, we're committing up to $200,000 to to support fellow entrepreneurs and business owners just like you with the Brand Possible Marketing Makeover.
8: Visit BrandonPossible.com to be entered to win a $50,000 comprehensive marketing makeover by our award-winning design and interactive marketing teams, brand identity, marketing and collateral design, public relations, social media support, and much more.
1: Visit
0: BrandonPossible.com and complete a quick survey for your chance to win.
8: Getting back to business can seem overwhelming at such a fragile time. But when the time does come to open those doors again, we'll be right there by your side to help you through. Here are some of the fantastic reasons people put in an artificial lawn from Artificial Turf Kings. It looks great all year. No more mowing, weeding, or lawn care. No more watering. It's pet and kid friendly. You save time and money. Here are a few more fantastic reasons to contact Artificial Turf Kings. Get a free estimate. Save 40% off installation. Get 0% financing for 12 months. And get a 60-year warranty. A green lawn and no maintenance? Yes! Get your free estimate. Contact Artificial Turf Kings at turfkingsoftexas.com. Do you need help
4: making ends meet during the COVID-19 crisis? The City of San Antonio's new Emergency Housing Assistance Program provides assistance to pay for rent, mortgage, utilities, and internet access. As part of the assistance package, cash is available to pay for groceries, medicine, and fuel. To see if you qualify, visit www.sanantonio.gov slash emergency housing assistance or call 311
7: the feelings of anxiousness, sadness, discomfort, and the inability to get a good night's sleep. None of these are unusual, but during these troubled times, they seem to be intensified. This is Jorge, the CBD pharmacist at CBD Apothecary. I've kept busy working with regular clients and a lot of new clients right now, and I have some very good news. First, CBD Apothecary can help. As a pharmacist, I can offer professional advice on expectations, dosage, interactions with other medications and benefits, and we're now online so you can order from the comfort of your home. You'll find us at mycbd-rx.com. That's mycbd-rx.com. With over 30 years' experience as a pharmacist, I look forward to working with you to address any issues you may be experiencing. What we pride ourselves on here is our commitment to service and to your satisfaction. Discover for yourself the possibilities of CBD products at CBD Apothecary. 210-957-0605, 957-0605. On the corner of Wurzbach and Babcock, behind McDonald's, and online at mycbd-rx.com. If you live west of San
8: Antonio, near Castorville, Lytle, Von Army, Divine, Hondo, or even Lackland Air Force Base, you now have a landscape and nursery business of your very own. It's Landscape Solutions and Nursery on Highway 90, four miles east of Castorville. Tell them what you're growing. They'll choose the very best soil. Not just any soil, it's customized, purely organic soil mix that consists of fully pasteurized aged manure and vegetable matter compost, several organic supplements such as bat guano, cotton seed meal, green and red sands, sphagnum peat moss, and more. But never biosolids. When the soil is this good, your plants, flowers, vegetables, and lawn are fantastic. Visit Landscape Solutions and Nursery, 3059 U.S. Highway 90 East, or online at SoilForSale.com. That's soil, the number 4, sale.com. Landscape Solutions and Nursery, open Monday through Saturday. Call 830-985-3747 for competitive prices and the best in soil mixes. Landscape Solutions and Nursery, 830-985-3747. When it comes to hiring a roofer,
5: don't mess around. Call my friends at Stevens Roofing. These guys cover all of South Texas, and I trust them to give you an affordable solution for all your roofing needs. Stevens Roofing, 210-785-0994.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550 KTSA, and FM 1071.
1: All right, back to gardening, and we're going to talk to Mike. Mike, if we get short on time, we'll put you back on hold and come back after the news. But good morning.
6: Hi, Bob. This a quick question. I've got a tomato plant that is now about five foot tall, straight up, making a few blooms, no tomatoes.
0: How do I stop the height growth?
1: Next time, you look for a variety that is called a determinate tomato. What you have is an indeterminate that basically wants to grow as a giant vine. Now, the good news is the indeterminates tend to produce more tomatoes over a longer period of time. Uh, If you want to whack the top off of it, you can, and it will branch out, but it's just that plant's nature to want to make a long, tall vine. And um, next time, if you don't want to have to deal with it, you get what's called a simply determine it, and they grow up to about four or five feet and stop growing. But uh, as soon as the nights warm up, you're going to start getting a lot of fruit set, and uh, you're going to be glad the plant's pretty big. So uh, it's just doing its normal thing. Oh, okay. Thank you much, sir. Appreciate it. Okay. Well, you're certainly welcome. Short and sweet. Thank, Thank you, Tom. All right. Well, right after news, we will be talking to uh, – I'm sorry, that was Mike. We'll be talking to Tom and Janine and you. A couple of lines open. Grab one if you like. And um just all you ladies out there, even if I don't say it every time, remember that we wish you the very happiest of Mother's Days.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210 599 5555.
1: Ah, but don't die right this second because Tom and Janine and Carolyn and Sharon all get in ahead of you. But, uh, We'll have a line available for you pretty shortly on this beautiful morning, the day before Mother's Day. Oh, golly, it's just—it uh, is a wonderful temperature. Take that cup of tea, cup of coffee, whatever, outside on the porch and enjoy, because uh, you know, first thing you know, we're going to be into summertime's heat. And this is uh, this is just a beautiful weekend out there. Let's get back to the phone lines, and Tom is up next. Good morning, Tom.
9: Three quick questions. The first oh. one is the. Bark beetle, when and what do you use to, uh, I I think you said, to use the orange oil on the trunk of the tree or something. Now, are we talking about the borer
1: that gets on under the bark, or are we talking about the uh, little creatures that are on the outside the, of the bark?
9: They're the large uh, uh, black uh, borer that it, This time of year, they're walking up on the exterior of of the tree.
1: Well, on the exterior of the tree, the best thing to use is Spinosad, S-P-I-N-O-S-A-D. Totally safe for people and pets, but it's the best beetle killer I've found.
9: And uh, when do you, what time, I mean, when in the year, or do you constantly put it on there once a month?
1: Um. You know, we don't usually see them year-round. There's usually a relatively brief period in the spring, and it's one of those things I tend to be reactive on that rather than proactive i don't usually spray unless i see them unless i see a problem so for me it's spraying once or twice in uh you know march april may sometime in there and then i don't usually see them after that uh if i do the spinosat is still the thing i'm going to go to but uh i certainly don't feel like you should be out there spraying it every month or so i just don't think it's necessary
9: okay thank you and the other two quick questions When do you plant the corn for the sweet corn for the fall? And the other question is the real. You mentioned a tomato, an indeterminate tomato called Real Talk 310. Is that a red and uh, is that the correct name?
1: That wasn't me that mentioned that. That was probably the extension agent. I don't know that particular one. You had named
9: three uh, that you liked in your garden, and one was Juliet and the Sweet 100s, and there was a third one. Okay, on the three cherries, my favorite three cherries
1: are Sweet 100, Juliet, and Sun Gold. Uh Gold is a little yellow cherry that is so sweet. that That is probably my number one favorite tomato. I go in when I walk in the garden. I go and eat about 20 of those is the first thing I do. And then I go on with my gardening. Now, big fruited tomatoes, if you like a big yellow, I like either Lemon Boy or Carolina Gold. If you like a uh, purplish tomato, I'd have to say Cherokee Purple and Black Creme are my two favorites there. For a red tomato... That has really good flavor. I uh, I like Celebrity as a good one. I like one called Arkansas Traveler because it tends to produce a little bit later into the summer. Now, a lot of people, oh gosh, there, there are several others that are heavy producers, but I'm into flavor when it comes to tomatoes. I I want, a, I want a good tomato flavor, and those are some of the best. Probably the most flavorful tomato out there is called Brandywine, but it just is not a heavy producer, so I don't plant many of them them i i plant a lot of celebrities plant a lot of Arkansas traveler and uh i'll sometimes plant some improved porter Um i just i'm always trying something different because i've always got you know 20 to 30 cages of tomatoes because everybody loves tomatoes
9: <laughs> yes there's a lot of them out there
1: <laughs> uh there are and but i and i tend to go with indeterminates uh, now, the Celebrity is a semi-determinant, but it still produces a lot of tomatoes. But uh, I'm I'm into flavor, uh, and I I just generally don't go with so many of the ones. It's the Extension Service comes out with a rodeo tomato every year, and I find about one out of four of tomato that I really like. So I just keep up with my old favorites and try a new one here and there.
9: And on the corn for
1: fall. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I have never been successful in growing corn in the fall in South Texas, Uh, and it's largely because there's an insect called a midge that just is, uh, it's just hard to overcome. If you want to try it, most of your corns are about 55-day corns, which means you'll be planting sometime around the end of August to the 1st of September, but I have yet to get a corn crop in the fall that compares anything like the spring corn crop, so so uh if you've got room in the garden you want to give it a try, l- try to get it in just a little before Labor Day and if all things go well, then uh you'll get some good sweet corn. But uh believe me, if it were if it were easy to do, everybody would be doing it. It's just tough to grow good corn in uh in the heat in here in South Texas at that time of year.
9: Well thank you for all the information. I I love the show. I sure appreciate it, Tom. You have a wonderful weekend and uh
1: We'll talk again. And Moving along, Janine is up next, and then it'll be Carolyn and Sharon. Good morning, Janine.
3: Good morning. I'm uh, uh, fighting uh, this oxalis. Uh, I think it's uh, the kind of uh, a green uh, clover shape, but yep. and it gets a, a pink bloom, and a, the bloom is beautiful. But there are a million of them forever plant, I think.
1: Well, um, is it in your grass? Is it in your flower beds? Where do you have the oxalis? Yeah. Um. A heavy mulch will really slow it down. It actually grows from a little corm. It's kind of like a little bulb. So it's uh, hard to ever totally eliminate, but uh, it's it doesn't really create any problems. It doesn't interfere that much with the other things. But where you're just having too much of it, I put an inch or two of mulch on top of it, and that's going to control 90 95% of it.
3: It has those stringy things in the bottom. You know, yep. if you call it a bulb, and it's just no, it comes every ever between every rock or every thing that <laughs> I have, or in the succulents, in the cactus gardens, just everywhere is solid with it. It's well.
1: Yeah, if you're very selective in how you spray, the vinegar and orange oil will kill it, and it works very, very quickly. When I'm when I'm fighting oxalis or dandelions or any other weed in among plants, I carry just a, a piece of cardboard. This may be a foot wide and two feet long, and I will hold that piece of cardboard up against the plant that I want to protect, and then I'll spray the weeds with my vinegar and orange oil mix. The vinegar and orange oil does not spread through the Oil it does not get absorbed through the roots; it's only absorbed through the top. So I'll pick a calm day, and then I can walk around, and I mean, I can spray right up against the plant that I don't want to harm, and yet I can kill out the oxalis right. just by putting yeah, my little piece of cardboard good. up and spraying it in front.
3: And what are your uh, your proportions on the vinegar and oil? I, I, I
1: yeah, I use a gallon of strong vinegar, and then two ounces of orange oil. Now, if you only want to make up a quart or so of it, because you don't soak the soil, you just soak the foliage, uh, that's the equivalent of about, oh, two teaspoons of orange oil to a quart of vinegar. Because once you mix it up, you need to use it. It doesn't store well. So if you don't need to mix up a whole gallon, just mix up a quart and put about two teaspoons of orange oil in there, and it should work very well for you.
3: Okay, thank you very much.
1: You're certainly welcome. Thank you.
3: All right. uh, Next up is
1: Carolyn. Uh, Yeah, let's go ahead and talk to Carolyn. Good morning, Carolyn.
2: Oh, good. I'll make this real fast. I want to plant some Brussels sprouts this year. I've never done that. Okay and I want to know when to plant the seeds and just the general 101 on Brussels sprouts.
1: Okay, well, the thing that's complicated about Brussels sprouts is that they take a long time to produce. You know, we, we plant broccoli, and we're harvesting broccoli about 45 days later. Brussels sprouts take over 100 days to produce. So, and you normally don't, directly plant the seed in the garden brussels sprouts is always much better to set out as a little plant that is already two three four inches tall so you want to start your brussels sprout seed toward the end of july because it takes about a month to make a good transplant and then we set out the plants hopefully we'll have good plants ready to go in the garden in early september and when we do that, we're normally harvesting Brussels sprouts by about February or so. But, uh, it just, it's, you can plant them as late as, uh, as late as probably the end of September. But when you plant too late, then you're kind of pushing the productive season later into the spring. And once it warms up, your Brussels sprouts stop making those tight little heads. They start making, you know, more open and they're just not quite as good. So, Brussels sprouts are, I guess you might say they're a gamble in our warm climate. Now, you go a little further north, you go over to New Mexico or somewhere like that, where they've got colder weather later in the winter. They grow the most beautiful Brussels sprouts in the world. But here in San Antonio... In all honesty, you're probably going to get good good Brussels sprouts about every other year or about every third year. But if you're planting from seed, start the seed in July, set your plants out toward the end of August or early September, and if the weather cooperates, you'll get to enjoy harvesting Brussels sprouts uh, early next spring.
3: Okay, that sounds good. I
2: knew you had to. I knew it take a took a long time to. You know, before you could harvest them, but I wasn't sure when to plant the seed. And uh, okay, thank you very much. Did you have a certain variety you like, or just does it matter?
1: Oh, golly, it—I've Jade Cross is the variety that's been around for a lot of years. J a d e c r o s s, but. um I, I've not really ever found one that I would say is superior. That's the one I've grown before, and I know it's still a good one, but there there may be some other varieties out there. Ask neighbors, okay. ask friends. If they've had one that they've been very successful with, uh, go with their recommendations.
2: Okay. Okay. Thank you for your information.
1: Well, it's always a pleasure, Carolyn. Thank you for calling this morning, and uh, once again, a very happy Mother's Day to you. Thank you. Mm-hmm all right back to gardening it's going to be Sharon and Mike and John and Steve and uh, we start out with Sharon good morning Sharon good
4: morning how you doing
1: I'm well how I'm doing very well
4: okay um I have a question and I kind of think I have the answer already um I have some pepper plants that are in pots they were growing outside in the garden they're now inside on the apartment balcony but i've noticed that they're covered with little white tiny little white
1: spots all over them are these Um, spots that move are they insects or are they just little you know spots of something growing on the plant it looks like just spots that are growing on the plants i haven't seen them move okay it could be just a little bit of mildew which is fairly common bright sunshine should take care of it um, peppers just across the board need the hottest brightest sun you can manage so put them on the sunniest place you can on that porch or on that balcony if you need to raise them up on something so they are not you know, being shielded by a, a rail or something like that. You've just got to get those peppers where they get lots of hours of direct sunlight if they're going to grow well and produce well for you. Occasionally we see some little insects that are white, things like whitefly. If those show up, you know, the insecticidal soap or the spinosad soap seems to take care of them. But your biggest challenge with peppers is going to be getting enough sunlight to them. Okay, and these are hot peppers they're all different varieties of hot chili peppers <laughs> oh it's there there's so many good ones out there you know we all grow a few serranos a few jalapenos but Man, there are so many new hot ones out there, and uh I frankly don't see how people are able to consume some of them but uh uh they make you know you can make a great spray for repelling squirrels and all sorts of other things, but there are people that could just sit there and slice them up. you know you can actually get addicted to the capsaicin, to the to the heat in there so uh you enjoy your hot peppers, but thank you, I think I'll stay with slightly milder ones myself. <laughs> Okay so you think this probably just um well hmm. I I think it's probably just a little bit of powdery mildew or seeing some of the same on squash and a, a few other things
4: powdery
2: mildew on it though
1: it might I've seen
2: just that
1: yeah it may just be a little tiny area where you had drops of water on the leaf and then the sun hits it and you get a little bit of just, a, it's like a magnifying glass, you get a tiny little bit of burn underneath. I don't think it's an issue. Now, everybody's peppers, the new growth looks a little crinkled, looks a little abnormal, and that's just because of cold nights. Uh, at this point, I'd be watering, I'd be fertilizing every couple of weeks with uh, a good liquid organic fertilizer and uh, your pepper. Peppers will grow out of it, but especially the higher heat varieties, they just can't wait for July to get here. The hotter and sunnier it is, the happier they are.
4: Okay, great. Thank
1: but I don't, so I much. don't think this, I don't think this is a problem. You really need to do anything about, but just work at finding the sunniest place you can to grow those guys. Okay, great. Thank you. You're welcome, Sharon. Thank you. All right, Mike is up next. Good morning, Mike.
6: Morning, Bob. How you doing, sir? I'm
1: um, well. How about yourself today?
6: <clears throat> Excuse me. Doing doing great, Bob. Uh, well, I tell you, it doesn't get much better in this weather-wise, well, does it? Doesn't work. <laughs> we haven't been. <laughs> we haven't need. Been yeah. We quite as many as we've got dealt, you know last year at this point but uh, we still got you know some springtime to go so boy it's just gorgeous
1: well the weather's gorgeous I desperately need some rain and I imagine you do too but uh, <laughs> we just look at the clouds and hope and it will happen one of these days typically in South Texas uh, we always say we alternate between ongoing drought and occasional floods but I'm ready for that occasional flood so are my cows and all my pastures but uh, we just take it like it is and in the meantime like you say we're going to enjoy these gorgeous mornings
6: yes sir well as of this morning we're a day closer to the next one so uh, that's right anyway bob uh, me being a seed griller i'm a little disappointed because what i thought was lemon boys is, you know have turned out to be a cherry of some sort but <laughs> you
3: know, I've,
6: got, I've got four I've got, <laughs> I've got four hungry you know granddaughters that just that just love the cherries, and I don't grow a lot of cherries anyway. But, uh, <laughs> well, and they counts. produce better in the summer. They
1: produce better oh, yeah. in the summer anyway. So, yeah, oh, yes, you can plant sir. some lemon boys in the fall. Yep.
6: Well, you know, i i, I didn't I didn't fail on my uh, on my black crimes. I didn't do any Cherokee purple this year, but I've got I got plenty of black crims set. So good. You know, we'll, we'll be all, we'll be all right. Uh, yes, sir. What I got? What I got, Bob? Now. I noticed this last year. Uh, in I've got raised beds. Okay, in uh, in my back bed there. Uh, oh, last week I guess it was week before. I noticed a perfect nickel sized round hole uh, next to you know next to one of my pepper plants. And and you know I've kind of seen it before. Well, then yesterday or last night. Uh, or night before last, I guess it was, I saw beside the bed, you know, outside the bed, oh, four feet away, another hole that did look like it had, uh, you know, some little clumps of dirt, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I had the same thing last year in the front bed. Now I've got a, I've got a young garter snake that sits up there on top and, uh, in suns, you know, just about every mm-hmm. morning on top, on top of my two by six is there. Uh, now, I hope this whole family's there, but uh, what do you think I could be looking at there, Bob?
1: Well, I think it's something coming out of the ground rather than something going down into the ground. This is a time of year that a lot of different well yeah rhinoceros beetles one possibility it's a little early for cicadas when we get to june and end of july you're going to have cicadas uh and you know they they make a hole that may be three quarters of an inch in diameter but in yes. any event um it's not anything to worry about your your garter snake uh they they don't dig oh, but yeah. they will certainly oh, take yeah. advantage of a burrow like that and <laughs> you never can tell i, I can't well, tell you how many times
6: so families there yeah
1: yeah yeah and uh and toads too uh, more than once i found a hole in the garden i put the hose on it to flood it and boy here comes this little toad face out <laughs> like hey you just you just i don't have flood insurance you just flooded me out but uh
6: yeah, i I've think got, I, yeah
1: yeah i i think you're
6: You on that one bob i used to do a lot of you know, flowers and pots, and uh-huh. and they would get up in there and, and burrow down in the dirt and go to water, and, 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 and I'm not afraid of I'm not afraid of anything, Bob, except a brown recluse or black widow that I can't see. Uh,
1: well, about, that or the blasted about, scorpions but, hiding down in there. But uh, um,
6: now, what yeah, what you're going to kill you or hurt you? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's just a temporary pain, but uh, no, it's I I wouldn't worry about it. I just uh, it's just one of those little interesting phenomena that show up this time of year, and you just wish that there was a way that you could have a camera out there and just see what comes out because nature just does so many amazing things. But my guess is rhinoceros beetle or one of the other big beetles coming out.
6: Okay, but but uh, I was I was kind of thinking mice. My... Uh, but, you know, I see, of course, you know, mice are what they used to be. I see no evidence. Nah. Uh, that was, you know, not, and there's there's plenty of old feral cats around here,
1: so. Oh, yeah. And and mice don't really dig much. Mice burrow. They want to get under a log. They want to get, you know, under a box somewhere, and um, they'll, they'll sometimes get underneath a rock, but they, they don't dig a perceptible hole. So I, I'm pretty sure it's an insect of one sort or another and probably not anything damaging.
6: Yeah, okay, Bob, and, and getting back to the toads, you know, I get out in the water, you know, daybreak, first thing, that's the first thing I do when I wake up.
10: Uh,
6: <laughs> you know, not not so much this year. I hadn't got my zinnias put out front, you know, and a lot of stuff yet. Mm-hmm. They're, they're ready to go. I've just been lazy. Uh, but, yeah, I, I put, you know, put that watering can down in them pots, you know. Many a time, the big old toads jump out and, and, and take you a little bit by surprise. You know, but and, they're all welcome. They're all welcome.
1: So. Yes, sir.
6: The more oh. no lizards and toads and snakes I've got, the, the happier I am.
1: So, well, it's the fewer bugs afraid. you've got, yep. Yeah,
6: so. yeah. The, the, the holes are about about nickel size. So that that's it. and you know I see a lot of the big old grubs, you know, in my compost in my yeah. beds. So. So okay, yeah, that I kind of figured it was probably an insect, but uh uh you know, you you, you don't think it could be mice, right?
1: No sir. No sir. Okay. And if you see a mouse, it might want to use that for a burrow, but that's not typically mouse. Mouse mouse see, is more right. okay. Yeah, mouse is more going to, you know, make a nest um it's not going to dig a hole, so no i i there may be other things that use that just as a place to somebody did the work of digging it out, but that 's more likely going to be you know your little lizards, your anoles, and uh maybe that garter snake, but nothing to worry about and uh uh you know I guess if you want to see if anybody's in there, just you know turn the hose on flood it, and well, if no, anybody's I, living yeah, in there you 'll see them yeah
6: you know, i've actually done that five or six times there. And the only thing I can figure, he's got another out, you know, or or some other chambers, whatever whatever it may no. be. Or
1: no, that, be that, yeah, that, that yeah, that beetle just comes out and he's gone. He's never going to go back in once he's come out of the ground. So it's just a little just a little hole in the surface to help the water and oxygen get deeper into the soil. So uh, just yeah,
6: observe well, and enjoy. Yeah, the one now, you know, I've, I've mulched on my you know my beds, you know. Couple of weeks ago, but outside of the one that I saw inside the bed, the one that's outside of the bed, you know, I I fill it with water and and then uh, he comes back sometime at night and digs it out again, whatever it is. so <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's it's it, you know as long as. We, M- mice were my concern. and Even at that, it's not—you know—it's not,
1: you know, not going to hurt. No, I don't think you're looking. Time, don't think you're looking at a mouse. And uh, if that garter snake's big enough, they—they're more bug eaters. But they'll—they'll they'll take a mouse if they can manage. So, Mike, you get out and have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy this day, and I know we'll talk again soon. All right, Thank Bob, you, sir. Pups of Pat, thanks. I'll sure do it. Thank you. All right, we are back to gardening and back to the phone lines. And uh, at least one open line, give me a call two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. 599 5555. Our next two callers are going to be John and Steve. And John is up first. Good morning, John.
5: Good morning, Dr. Bob. Uh, I'm calling uh, because I've been working hard since Wednesday at sodding uh, my lawn. With uh, St. Augustine, Florida. very good. Yes, sir. And I just need your direction how to best get this going. Uh, you know, it's it looks a little a little dull now,
3: and okay. so
5: I want to know what's
1: gonna what it's what I need to do to get it going and to get it greener. All right, sir. Well, you know, it's going to take a little time for it to put, you know, its roots down. So we're looking at four to six weeks to get really well established. But you've got all your grass planted now, don't you? You don't don't have any of it still stacked on the pallets. I have it
5: just a little bit. I've just about got it all done,
1: Bob. Well, get it get it all done. If you don't have time to plant it, spread it out one layer thick because it really goes downhill in a hurry. It just really shouldn't stay stacked on the pallets uh, at all. So even if you don't have time to plant it get, it, get it spread out on the driveway, on the sidewalk. It just can't stay stacked up. First and most important thing you do is to roll it. You can go to any of the rental centers and I don't know, probably 10, 12 bucks. You can rent one of these water-fillable rollers. It's kind of like a rolling pin with a handle. Uh, You fill it up with water, weighs about 300 pounds. You just go back and forth over the top of your sod, and what you're doing, you're not trying to level, but you're pressing the air pockets out between the sod and the soil underneath. You've got to get those air pockets out, or you'll end up with a little dead spot here, a little dead spot there, little areas that are maybe a foot square where the St. Augustine just folds up and dies, and it's simply because the sod, the new sod, didn't get pressed tightly against the soil underneath it. So rolling it is a very important thing to do. You can put an organic fertilizer on anytime. Organic fertilizers don't burn. I sometimes will put the fertilizer down before I plant the grass, but uh, you can also put it put it down right afterwards you're going to need to water regularly probably daily maybe even twice a day for the first week or so because you want to keep that that area moist where the roots are trying to grow into the soil underneath after a week or so you can cut back to like every other day after about six weeks you can treat it like a mature yard and go to watering it once a week but um Florida hemp's good. Good St. Augustine for sunny areas, and uh, it's just one of the toughest forms of St. Augustine. It's the most drought tolerant. It's the most sun tolerant shade St. Augustine out there. But uh, roll it, fertilize it, water it. About six weeks from now, you should have a beautiful yard.
5: Well, it's good to know, Bob. You don't think it's been sitting on a pallet too long? Yeah, you know, I mean, I've been working hard at this.
1: You know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> That's when you get a case of beer and call every friend you've got. And, um, you know, it's the faster you get it out, the better. If you got this on Wednesday, um, I think you're probably just fine with it. If you got it, you know, back last Sunday and you didn't get around to getting started on it until Wednesday, it's been set back a bit. But um So is it still basically green to gray-green in color? How much yellowing do you have in it?
6: Some yellow, yes.
1: Okay. You might want to, in the areas that are yellowed, you might want to get a little bit of whole-ground cornmeal and uh, dust around because you may have some fungus started in there um and the whole ground cornmeal is cheap you just go to a feed store or nursery somewhere like that and get a bag and just broadcast it by hand i mean you can use a spreader but i would just concentrate on just a light sprinkling over the areas that are yellow that'll get your trichoderma fungus going which will again uh, take out the the bad any bad fungi that are in there but We really want to just, you know, get it tightly against the ground and give it the water and nutrients it needs to start growing because St. Augustine grows in a hurry this time of year. And, uh, again, the way it looks now, the way it's going to look six weeks from now are just night and day difference.
5: Okay, that's good, Bob. Appreciate it. Anything else come to
1: mind? Uh, You certainly, I don't think you need to worry about grub worms at this point, or certainly uh, not about chinch bugs or anything. At this point, just, uh, again, get some fertilizer down, work at keeping it watered, and when you go out um, after, oh, probably give it a week, and then go out and just gently grab some of the grass like you were grabbing somebody by the hair, lift up, Uh, I think you'll probably find that it's getting well rooted into the soil, and uh, then you're just well on your
11: yeah fertilizer mine it's the best that organic any
1: of the organics you know medina nature's creation texas tea by Maestro grow any of those are great fertilizer stay away from the synthetic stuff that'll burn and long term it's not real good but uh whether it's uh you know, Medina one of the easiest to find. Nature's Creation is also a real good one that doesn't have – Medina's going kind to of have a little odor issue with it because it's uh, poultry litter that goes away in a hurry. Nature's Creation's product is based on alfalfa, which doesn't have any of the odor. Uh, the Texas tea is based on a whole bunch of different meals in there. So you buy what you find at a reasonable price. They're all going to be real good for your St. Augustine.
9: Thank you so much, Bob. I appreciate it.
1: My pleasure, John. Thank you. And next up will be Steve. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. Can you hear me? Morning, sir. Yes, sir, just fine.
9: Great. I've got a couple key lime uh, trees I just put in the ground two weeks ago. How long does it take those things to get going? They're like in suspended animation. They're not doing anything. It's been two solid weeks. It's probably going to be two
1: solid months or more um, because – it it just takes a while for them to get their roots spread out and at this point they're going to spend more time growing roots than they are growing tops now key lime is a great plant you're going to have to protect it it's the least cold hardy of all of our citrus but key lime unlike the persian limes they can bloom anytime uh they can produce uh limes anytime (laughs) best limes in the world for anything from margaritas to limeade but uh uh, two weeks, as long as they're looking good, as long as you're not dropping a whole bunch of leaves. You're always going to have a few leaves turn yellow and drop, but at this point, uh, you're going to have to be patient with it because it's going to it's going to take several more weeks before you're really going to see a lot. I would be fertilizing about every two weeks with a good liquid organic fertilizer, and and just remember they're going to they're going to spend more time growing roots for a little while before they really start putting on their top growth, but that's totally normal.
9: Okay, thanks. And and the leaves are real curly and they're almost they're not dropping but they've got a silvery color to them and they're a little curly and they were that way when I bought it.
1: That's from uh, that's from all the wind. That's kind of what citrus does this time of year. The new leaves that come out will be much brighter green. They'll start out real soft and then they toughen up fairly quickly. But um, every citrus out there is has got curly leaves on it with the kind of weather we've been having, and that's not really anything to be concerned about, Steve. Do sure. be fertilizing regularly. Do be watering. Now you planted. Did you put these in the ground or are they in big containers? Ground. Okay, feel the soil right at the base of the tree. Water thoroughly whenever it's dry, about a knuckle deep. How often that is will depend on the temperature, the wind, the humidity. So I can't tell you every second day, every third day, but uh, your index finger is the best moisture meter in the world. When you water, water really thoroughly. Let them dry to the proper point and then water thoroughly again and uh, be a little patient with them. They will definitely reward you in the long run. Okay, thank you very much. All right, back to gardening. We'll try to get Marilyn and Chris and Larry in here before our Howard Garrett break. Good morning, Marilyn.
12: Yeah, good morning, Bob. Um, good morning. I am chopping down a uh, 25-year-old Bradford pear in my backyard. and notice, okay. boy, that west sun really does come in now. Uh, and I'm trying to think of something to replace it to kind of block the west sun. Um, I'm thinking about like a Mexican sycamore, a lacy oak, a, a cedar elm, something that would be more uh, upright and not uh-huh. spread out, real far.
1: How um, how big a tree? How big a tree do you want this to grow into? How uh, do you want well, some, 20 something? Twenty feet, thirty
12: feet sun um because there's nothing stopping it um okay i'm i'm thinking that's why i'm going with some of the smaller trees and um something that doesn't you know uh uh, branch out or spread out uh, real real far um
1: well mexican sycamore is by far the fastest growing Now, if you, but it's going to get big and it's going to spread out to some extent. If you're looking for something that's going to stay, you know, not too broad and going to grow about 30 feet tall, you can get a big crepe myrtle. You can get something like Basham's Party Pink Crepe Myrtle. Yeah, I don't like crepe
12: myrtles. I don't like crepe myrtles. I I want, you know, like the, I don't know, the lacy oak, uh, even a big-tooth maple, but that probably is not going to shade very much.
1: Well, they're um, just slow. Lacy's oak is wonderful, but it's slow. Big-tooth maples are wonderful, but they're slow. And I have an idea. You want this thick yesterday, so probably, (laughs) yeah, you probably want Mexican sycamore is what you're looking for.
12: Okay. Okay. And so it uh, it um, so it'll take the west sun.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. And it it will make a big tree, and it'll make, it'll grow faster than any other reasonable quality tree I can think of. Uh, uh, right. You know, if if you were just moving into this house and you wanted to invest ten years in it, uh, we could look at Lacey's oak. We could look at uh, Mexican live oak. But you want to be rid of that sun in the near future, so I think Mexican sycamore is probably going to be the best choice for you.
12: Okay, I think I'll go ahead and do that. And also, I just wondered how close can you plant a a big tooth maple to your house uh, as far as the roots? And, you know, they grow pretty much straight up, so. Yep. um, I
1: I would stay at least five feet out, 10 feet out would be better. But it's not going to bother your foundation. I don't want to grow it up into the soffit, into the eaves. So five to ten feet out is fine.
12: Five to ten feet, okay. All right, I think that's about what they're planted now. So anyway, okay, well, thank you. I appreciate your help.
1: It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, on to Chris. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Bob, and everybody else out there.
0: Three quick things and then a question. Number one, if you get harlequin beetles, Do like I do. Pull up your plants, feed them to your chickens. They love them.
1: That's that's the thing to do.
0: Number two, the guy with the lime trees where they're sitting there. Uh, My Mexican limes literally died back because that cold front in November or whatever just killed them off.
1: Yeah. I was ready
0: to pull one up, and two days ago, the leaves are coming out of the bottom, not below
1: the,
0: you know, but they're coming up about three inches up, and so
1: they're... It gives if time, and they take a while. If they're Yeah, if they're above the graph point, that's fine. But I always worry yeah, about the things coming point. from above. Okay? Real quickly, give me your question, because uh, I'm real short on time here.
0: Okay. Well, uh, my tomatoes just are not doing really good. Just the coolish weather.
1: Uh, and what kind of plants are we talking?
0: Tomatoes. I'm sorry. did come through. Tomatoes. Tomato yeah, tomatoes are uh, not dark green. They're light greenish.
1: Fertilize. Be, fertilize them at least every couple of weeks. You can feed them feed a little bit more often. Water thoroughly whenever they're dry, like an inch deep. I'm watering mine about every other day, but mine are taller than me and dark green. But be constantly, uh, try that new Medina liquid fish product, and uh, that's really producing good results for me. And uh, that's what I would do, Chris. But let's try and get Larry in here before the Howard Hello. Garrett break.
3: Yeah. Hey Larry, good morning Bob. Thanks. Uh quick question. What can I do f- to keep my protect my zucchini plants from that bu- the
1: w- that worm? Well, the only thing that I have found that works 100% is to uh, take a syringe and actually inject some BT into the stem. Now, zucchini has a Relatively dense stem. Sometimes you have to, uh, inject two or three places. But I make my BT pretty strong. I'll put maybe a tablespoon of BT in a cup of water. And, uh, I just use, you know, a fairly large barrel syringe with a, with a fairly big needle on it, like a penicillin needle. If you're not comfortable with syringes, syringes go to the grocery store. And get one of these, uh, things they use to inject turkey and poultry and things for you. Put it on the grill that you can stick your seasoning in. But, um, you know, I, being the old biologist I am. <laughs> <laughs> I've given them shots in my life. But that's the only consistent thing. Now, some of the pheromone traps work if you put them outside the garden. And I've had everything from bay leaves to garlic to many other things suggested. And I've just not had consistency with it. But uh uh if you will inject, and inject maybe about two to three inches up the stem where it comes out of the ground, or well, I guess on zucchini, maybe you can on go out as much as... Stem. On each each, branch? On each stem. Not on the leaves, but on the stems.
0: Okay. All right, Bob. Hey, thanks a
1: lot, man. I'm glad I got in.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555.
1: Yes, but if you've been listening very long, and most of you probably have, you know that this is the segment where we'll save the last 30 minutes of the show or so for more phone calls, but this is the time we get to talk to a very special gardener out there who's been helping folks all across the country, not just Texas, but uh, uh, probably all around the world. Good morning, Howard Garrett.
11: Good morning, and uh, happy almost Mother's Day to everybody
1: it's just uh, just less than 24 hours away and as i tell people whether you're a mother or your kids or your grandkids or your puppies out there every lady out there should suffer should celebrate mothers day
11: well hope everybody enjoys this great weather it could not be any nicer i don't remember a a spring having this much uh, cool weather.
1: You know, Roberta and I were talking about that, and I don't know whether we have short memories or whether we get this kind of weather. But I don't remember many May's. It was in the fifties at my house this morning. I I walked out with the do- dogs to leave, and I went in and grabbed a jacket. <laughs> and, <I did> too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> of course, I've got shorts on, and I've got a t-shirt underneath the jacket. But uh, this is going to be a great day to be outside, and uh, hopefully, people be out uh shopping for wonderful mother's day gifts and things like that uh no oh, golly there's three or four things i wanted to talk to you about but one of them was uh do you have a favorites list when people ask you what is a great mother's day gift do you have some something special you always tell them about
11: No, plants are always good you know b- bright flowering uh plants and Things like that. Somebody just sent me a, an email, and this is a fairly common one, about having some fungus gnats prob- problems inside, and I was just thinking about maintenance of plants, and one of the things that's so great, interior plants that just don't take any maintenance, like the Sansevieria and those kind of things, you know, and you can go so long in between waterings, <laughs> which is the cause of the fungus gnats when you're not going exactly. yeah. long enough between waterings. So. They would certainly be high on my list because they're just so foolproof and and they clean the air and they just do you know just wonderful and you can get them in all sizes and shapes and colors and variegations <laughs> and everything else.
1: I tell people if you can't grow a sense you're going to have to switch to plastic. <laughs> it's yep, just that's, exactly, can't,
11: that's the next step.
1: Yeah, can't let them freeze, but other than that uh they oh gosh they truly are outstanding and it's amazing to me how many how many ladies really are seriously into gardening these days whether it's houseplants whether it's vegetables and i think people stay in at home now i i'm still not real sure about all this shelter in place stuff that's going on but uh plants sure do add to it they sure like you brought up they clean the air we still keep uh is wolverton was that his name uh yeah that worked for nasa and uh he's got that list that tells you which plants actually take formaldehyde out of the air which ones take benzene and uh I kind of respect NASA as far as knowing how to promote air quality. Any, anybody in demand space has got to be, have a, a pretty good plan for keeping the air clean, and he, he points out that plants are better air purifiers than anything man can make.
11: Yeah, and we got the new uh, Space Force going, and already got a whole bunch of people signed up for it. Sounds pretty cool. You know, the interesting thing about that uh, Wolverton uh, list, the NASA list of the best plants for cleaning the air, it's also uh-huh. the easiest plants to grow.
1: <laughs> You're right.
11: It really, you are. It uh, really is interesting, so. <laughs>
1: But, you know, there's, there is an emotional component, too. I remember a lot of years ago when I lived in Dallas, I put plants in uh, Procter & Gamble's regional offices up there. And, uh, their manager wrote me the nicest letter about three or four months later and said that absenteeism had, had gone down, that productivity had gone up. And we basically turned his office into a small jungle. But he said it's just, it's improved people's attitude. It's proved their, Productivity and uh uh this day and time i you know you need something that brightens your day and helps your mental outlook as well as your uh, as your dietary <laughs> requirements uh plants just we we've got a little sign up that somebody sent and it says looks kind of like a Charlie Brown character, but uh he says the answer is plants don't care what the question is <laughs> so, <laughs> we we yeah we like that, but uh um, are you guys seeing caterpillars? I tell you, in South Texas, this is the year of the caterpillar. There are about ten different big old wooly bear types. They're smooth caterpillars. They're big. They're small. I don't think I've ever seen the diversity of caterpillars that we're looking at.
11: You know, I saw a, um, a pre-explosion of them. I saw. I started seeing. Forest tent caterpillars on the ground, not clustered in big
3: Mm -hmm.
11: masses on the sides of the trees yet, but uh, one here on the edge of a pot and one on the grass and and one more over here. Mm -hmm. And I saw a little canker worm hanging here and hanging there, and I thought the same thing that you're thinking, man, this is going to be bad. But all of a sudden, here, I'm not seeing any anymore. So I I don't know if the bird, and Judy and I were talking about this uh, a couple days ago. Um, we've got more birds than ever before,
3: <laughs>
11: and we don't feed yeah. bird seed anymore because, you know, attracting the mice and rats and everything. We just do it with planting the plants that have seed and berries and things like that, and we mm-hmm. really have more birds this year than, than I ever remember. It's really been fun. Uh,
1: Roberta was counting the number of little wrens and titmice that she's watched fledge, you know, coming out of the nest and learning to fly, and it was, you know, 15, 20 little ones so far just right around her house, and uh, it's funny that even the seed-eating birds, you know, with, when they're at this stage, when they're when they're raising little chicks, uh, they eat a lot of insects because they need the proteins for the little ones to uh, develop naturally, and they're the best bug eaters in the world. Anybody's ever had the pleasure of watching a pair of wrens feed a nest full of little ones or titmice or whatever it's i don't know how they hunt so efficiently because either the male or the female are back every three or four minutes with a big old fat juicy caterpillar in their mouth and uh they're one of the best they're one of the best insect controllers a person can have in the garden and this this well, time of year especially
11: what's going on here because i'm not seeing very many caterpillars at all in a huge number of birds i'm seeing more brown thrush this year which is a wonderful uh songbird and and a, like you say a lot of wrens and of course we've got the uh uh titmouse that's still driving judy crazy with that <laughs> <monotonous>, uh, song <laughs> and she uh, she also spent a whole lot of time watching these baby crows uh
1: follow oh, yeah. out
11: of the nest and they're hanging around and you you can tell the difference uh you know they're a little bit smaller and their call is a little bit weaker, you know. Uh-huh. They're they're hanging around, they kind of fly in and land over the top of the car when you come in, all kind of stuff. So we apparently have some uh, pet uh, crows now for uh, for a while.
1: Well, they're entertaining and they they're one of the I will say cleverest birds I know of, and they can be problem-causers, but I I remember one time a lot of years ago staying at a a place where they would actually, individual cabins where the proprietors would come and they'd leave leave your breakfast in a little basket outside with the cloth napkin spread over the top of it and watching the crows fly down, pull the napkin off, and grab a large roll. I don't know how they can fly with some of the things that they carry, off but it's, uh crows are crows are highly entertaining but uh uh people that have pecans and things like that are not real crazy about them but yeah birds are birds bring a lot of uh, a lot of laughs to, around our places and the hummingbirds golly we've got quite a crop of humming, hummingbirds this year too
11: By the way, I I did find a a grower that had this soiree uh, periwinkle that you've been uh, talking to me about, so I got uh, every color they had and uh, uh, tried to do some uh, interesting arrangements uh, with it. It looked like a good little plant.
1: I think you will enjoy that one Uh, we got one that first year it came out and Roberta put it in about I guess a 7 inch bowl, terracotta bowl maybe and there was hardly a day all summer long that it didn't have dozens of flowers open on it and uh, uh It's that's still my favorite, the white one with a little pink center. They call it cool peppermint or something like that. But they've got a pretty pink, they've got a pretty light purple, they've got sort of a salmon-colored one now, and uh and I like them all. I, I'm not as crazy about them in the ground, but in containers or like yeah. in a window box, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, uh I yeah, that'd be that'd be a good thing to give Judy for Mother's Day. Yeah, you could you can tell her you got them for her. That'll be great. I hope so. <laughs> Very good Have you come up with anything new or different with the squash vine borers? You probably heard I had that question uh, just a little while ago And, uh, you know, I still recommend the Zutumi and the squashes that have the little narrow stem But people that want to grow the big crooknecks and zucchinis uh, Anything new on your palate as far as how to control the vine borers?
11: Well, that hair uh, application is intriguing to me. I'm going to try that and recommend it to people. And uh, hopefully some of your listeners, more of them, and more of mine will try it and see if there's really anything uh, to that. It might, if silica does do something, and it might, Mm -hmm. uh, natural diatomaceous earth applied as one of your rock minerals to the uh, soil probably is worth, uh, worth the effort. But that's yeah. the only, only new thing. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, Sam Cotner told Malcolm a long time ago was that if you planted more plants,
3: mm-hmm.
11: and instead of the number that you normally do, just a whole lot more plants, that for some strange reason, the pressure from uh, borers and the squash bugs is greatly diminished. Now, how that... Would work. I have no idea, but that's just another yeah. thing people can try.
1: Well, I've moved my gardening around a little bit. I've, I'm growing more stuff closer to the house, as I think I told you. But golly, I've had I've had rows where I had probably forty, fifty squash plants, you know, in one row, and I still would have the vibora problems periodically. But the hair, I had I had forgotten we talked about that. That. That will certainly be worth trying, and uh, I know they're there's going to be plenty of hair around. I know that when uh, the gal that cuts my hair gets back up and running <laughs> I, I've grown enough hair in the past three months that uh i I will have plenty for my garden. I think we're all looking like we did back in the seventies <laughs> with yep. the long hair these days with no no place to get it legally cut i've I've almost been tempted to tell Dr. Kirby to get his shears out, but I think I'll hold out for a few more days, but there'll be yeah, plenty of hair out there
11: people around right now that's for sure. <laughs>
1: But, uh, yeah, let's
11: try that, and I think uh, you you apply beneficial nematodes to your vegetable garden, don't you?
1: Oh yeah, I usually do it pre planting, and I I always hope that takes care of uh, the larvae in the soil before it comes out and forms. I, it looks like a ma- a wasp, it of course, should. but it's actually a moth. But it uh, help. yeah, I'd, maybe. And, and it's been so dry. Y'all have been blessed with more rain than we have, but. Uh, it's I, I suspect that they get in the fields outside the garden as well as in the garden proper. And I can spray my garden. I can put the beneficial nematodes out in the garden without any problem. But uh I've just got a lot of arable land close by. And always seem to be one or two of them that find their way in. And sometimes I'm fast enough to get them before they uh, start their egg laying. But uh seems like invariably I'll, I'll have at least a few of them around. But I'll give the hair a try this year. I'll, I'll tell Susie yeah. to to save save my. Uh, uh, it's a little bit different color than it used to be, but <laughs> I don't think that'll I don't think that'll affect the efficacy of it at all.
11: It's kind gonna of show up a little bit uh, more. Uh, trying a, a new uh, Japanese maple. We've got a fellow, young fellow, that has a, a place here that specializes in growing japanese maples but he's also got shantung and he's getting mm-hmm. into ginkgos and various kinds of things we're kind of sharing the information i'm trying to get him to start handling the uh, parodia the uh, persian yeah. ironwood and some of the other right. more unusual kind of things but uh, i asked him what his favorite of the reds uh the japanese maples that stay red judy was commenting that uh all ours, and in the past, I've kind of concentrated on the green ones, and uh-huh. uh, because I like the spring color that they have, and uh, also the fall color is so vivid. But having some that stay red through the summer is is a neat thing to do too, and I had a, a new place for it because I took down a big fig and a big uh, viburnum. And you recommended one called Fire Glow. Have you tried it yet?
1: I am not familiar with Fire Glow, but I'm making a note as we talk.
11: Yeah, he is said it, that it would stay uh, red as well or better than the blood good and some of the others that are more common. So uh, we're going to try those. They're really pretty little trees. So we'll see Recommending
1: them as, as understory or out where they get a good deal of sun?
11: Oh, kind of. Uh, mine's going to get some direct sun in the middle of the day and then kind of dappled uh-huh. uh, light in the morning and afternoon, and he thought that would work fine. He said probably the ideal situation is real high shade and dappled sunlight, mm-hmm. you know, all through the day.
1: I think that's true of most of them. Now, the big tooth and uh, even shantung and some of those, we've grown those out in full sun very successfully. But oh,
11: shantung, all, yeah, full sun. Yeah, yeah.
1: all the, you know, the uh, green
11: ones too, the species plants uh, can take a whole lot more full sun. I've got one in front of the house, and we took down a big burrow and, you know, planted a... Uh, Acorns bombarding the house,
3: <laughs> and uh,
11: it it put one of the green maples, the species maples, in full sun for several hours during the middle uh-huh. of the day, and it it handles it fine. I think I think the species plants can probably grow out in full sun, but they right. but they probably like it better to have a little bit of protection, especially from the afternoon sun.
1: Well, and of course, we always want to keep that root flare exposed but i I think a good mulch out over the a lot of the root zone. I think that 's one of the things I think sometimes the sun isn 't as hard on the top of the tree as we like to think, but when you 've got it just beating down on the ground when you 've got your soil temperatures really getting up in the summertime, I think that 's hard on some of the maples and uh i I'd end up mulching them pretty well i wish I wish we had a wider palette. Uh, of the of the ones that will take the sun, but uh, and and I love the red too. I definitely will be looking for fire glow. That sounds that sounds like a pretty tree.
11: Yeah, it's interesting. We'll uh, check that out and uh, keep looking at, at more. I'm, I'm I'm enjoying all the new ones that I've gotten, and we're adding them to the. In fact, they have been added to our uh, Japanese maple page in DirtDoctor.com, so people can go there and see all the new ones that I've added short of these these two latest ones but we'll get them added uh, here as soon as we can also
1: and and do encourage your friend to uh grow more of the ginkgo's i i like ginkgo as a as a tree for just for its color but it's also pretty it's also unusual and we still about the only place we can get ginkgo's out, is out of california and they're expensive and they're hard to get and uh if you have the right place i think they take you know relatively deep soil to really flourish but You look at how well yours have done, and I know several people in the area down here that have done just extremely well with them as a landscape tree, and I I sure wish we had a a more reliable source on them at a a reasonable price.
11: Well, if it doesn't take up too much room for you, you you can get some going in your greenhouse and and start growing them from seed. And I think from y'all's standpoint, you could sell them as an understory and a container plant. They'll grow in full shade all day long. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And growing them, uh, you know, starting off with little small ones, and that might be a good way for you all to get into, find, if you could find some seedlings somewhere and get them started in containers. I think they'd fit into Shades of Green's uh, motif there very, very well.
1: <laughs> I think you're right. You said yours didn't produce as much seed this year.
11: Uh, it produced a huge amount, more than than ever before. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I, think, I don't know if it was because of the... Uh, uh, the tremendous amount of moisture that we had or not, but no, I, I spent summer uh, shop vacuuming the uh, fruit up, and we've still got tons and tons of it. I thought I sent you some. Did I not send you some of this last batch?
1: I haven't I did, seen I it will. yet. No, I, I would love to love to get some of that. That's uh, but no, I don't don't believe we've gotten any yet. And I've still got to get out and get some of this trauma comfrey to. Uh, Send your way because that looks, that looks like something that's gonna have a lot of use for those of us that tend to get stung and cut and bumped on things every now and then. But, uh, we have been, we've been busy. I mean, it's been gratifying, but, uh, just the number of people that are new to gardening. Uh, some of them want to get into vegetable gardening. Some of them are really looking to, uh, improve their landscapes. And I guess it's, it's maybe because people are, more working at home but uh we've never been busier i mean may has just we're just keeping our heads above water and going home tired every night but it's it's been very gratifying and a lot of fun and it's it's also a lot of fun how many people are recognizing the importance of staying organic so uh it's uh it's going to be a good spring it's going to turn out well and we're going to have to see how things go with this opening back up i uh uh fellow who's become a pretty good friend is our mayor of Bernie, and among other things, he's head of uh, Santicos in this area, and uh, just a very well-spoken, thoughtful, articulate man, and he actually put out a video, and I think it's on the Santicos website, explaining how they were opening and why they were opening, and he said that it had just gone viral, that he would gotten like 30-some-odd calls from different news outlets around the country, and uh we were getting together the other day. I was taking him actually some vegetables out of the garden, and he, he was about thirty minutes later than he thought he would be because he was had an interview with somebody from one of the BBC outlets and said that she basically wanted to be very argumentative, saying, "Don't you think it's too early to open them?" He said, "No, I don't think it's too early, or I wouldn't be doing it." And here's what we're doing to you know to keep everybody safe. So it's it's an interesting process. I'm very thankful that. None of us have been impacted by having serious issues with the disease, but uh, uh, we sure are glad we're seeing more people open up. And, of course, you guys up in Dallas have made the news not always in a positive way, but I think you all are moving forward with opening up pretty well, too, now.
11: Yeah, you know, all the nurseries uh, like uh, down San Antonio stay open, and they've been jam-packed around here, too. So I think the uh, gardening and landscape world is doing well, and now it's starting to happen in other ways with the uh, barbershops and things like that. So we'll see how it goes. It, uh, I'm glad it's happening. We'll see, we'll see if uh, any bad things come out of it.
1: Well, it'll just, uh, we've got to to some extent build up that herd immunity, but uh, are you still offering the two-for-one on uh, the uh, organic certification course?
11: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, Doug uh, told me that we sold uh, four, of the classes yesterday, so somebody called and said, how can I learn more about this organic stuff? And he didn't even know about the class, and Doug told him about it. He said, oh, that's just absolutely perfect, just what I needed. So we're going to continue uh, that. If people don't know what it is, if you sign up for the class, uh, buy one of the classes, you get to identify a friend or a relative or whoever you want to to get up another one free. And you can kind of make a little side deal, I guess, so it'd just be 50-50 for both of you. <laughs> well, if you we've got... To go that route, that's fine. <laughs>
1: We've, we've got two newer employees here at the nursery that are just chomping at the bit, but they're both saying, I'm just too tired. We've got to have business ease up just a little bit so I won't fall asleep so I can concentrate more. And I tell them, hired's oh, pretty good at keeping you awake, but I know what you're talking about going home tired in the evening. So we've been trying to spread the word too and we'll continue to do so. Uh, glad you continue to do that because it's just, for people that want to get a, an intensive short course in the basics of organics and hopefully stimulate the desire to go out and study and do even more, uh, it's just really, it's just a really good thing you've done there. And, uh, I, I think there will come a time when we want an advanced course out there as well, but there's just only so many hours in the day. And I honestly don't know how you do as many things as you do, but there just an awful lot of us that really appreciate everything you do, Howard.
11: Well, that's uh, going pretty well, and the other thing's going well is the vegetable gardening book that uh, we did, and yeah. I kid about it uh, in my column and, and uh, on my show and everything. That it was the worst named book in the history <laughs> of book writing and creating because you know we, we we had named it the Veg the Texas Organic Vegetable Gardening Book. Uh, right. early on, and then I decided, uh, we decided to add fruit to it, and then I decided to add some other edible landscaping plants to it. So it covers all kinds of food crops, and it covers Uh, It helps people from coast to coast and border to border because we cover the timing kind of things from the last and first frost dates. Now, you're still going to have to talk to local people like you, and and that's one thing the extension services are great at is helping with uh, varieties sometimes and uh, research there. But I recommend that even, you know, in one metropolitan area. It will vary from one side to the other a lot of times.
1: Well, and, at in one neighborhood, and it's down here, it's amazing how just a little change in elevation, but we tell people getting into it, I always tell them there are two books you've got to have if you're going to take up vegetable gardening. One of them is, uh, that book, and the second one is the Texas Bug Book. Um, that's, that, people love that because, uh, even though you probably only cover a fraction of the things you're going to see, you, you do cover the most important with really Really good photography in there. So Texas book, Bug Book is the uh, second one after the Texas Organic Vegetable book. Uh, those are two that I think every new gardener has to have on the shelf. And then you can graduate on to the Herb Book and the Big Book and all those others. But those those two are, are our basic recommendation for where to start.
11: Well, appreciate it. And those are some tips for some Mother's Day presents, maybe. So. Yeah,
1: Absolutely.
11: You guys enjoy the uh, rest of the weekend, Uh, enjoy all the great business and the good weather, and everybody have a wonderful and safe uh, Mother's Day, and we'll just do this next week. How's that for an Uh, idea?
1: That sounds like a great idea. I've got uh, a black lab sitting here right next to me looking up, says that that sounds like a fine idea, too. So you give Nellie and Tater a pep for us, Howard. Once again, uh, wish Judy, wish Logan a very happy Mother's Day for us, and uh, we look forward to next Saturday. See you there. Stephanie is up first. Good morning, Stephanie.
4: Hi, good morning. Good morning. Um, good morning. A, question. a few weeks ago, I bought uh, some mint and some chocolate mint. Okay. I I planted them, and uh, they're going crazy, which is good.
3: Yes. Something
4: is eating the leaves.
1: Is it taking big chunks out of the leaves or eating little holes in the leaves? Little holes. You probably have uh, an issue with pill bugs, sow bugs, roly-polies, whatever you want to call them. Uh, They have a taste for mint. um, Easily taken care of. You can either create your own little trap by burying a glass jar down in the ground and putting just a little water or a little slice of apple in the bottom. They fall in and can't get out. Or if you want to put out a good, safe bait... Uh, there's a product on the market called Slug-O, Sluggo, S-L-U-G-G-O, Sluggo Plus. It's uh, iron phosphate plus spinosad, safe for people and pets, but uh, uh does a good job against uh, snail slugs and pill bugs, and you can just scatter a little bit of that around your mint. You can still harvest and enjoy the mint, but that's probably the best and easiest way to take care of the uh, pill bug chewing.
4: Okay, n- it's not in the ground, so should I still put it? I have it in a pot. To control it just
1: to yeah, just put a pinch of it, you know, down in the soil in the pot. It's amazing. Those, uh, you know, I know people that have pill bugs on their third store ba- third uh, third story balcony that have somehow managed to climb all the way up. And uh, yeah, it's it's still safe and it's still fine in pots.
4: Okay, um, another question uh, about with the mint. Um, can I? Does it take full sun, or can I bring it inside and put it in the window?
1: It doesn't have to have full sun. It will take full sun. Inside, the problem is more humidity. It's the lights, not the issue. But our heaters in the winter, our air conditioners in the summer, pull that humidity down in the single digits, and Mint simply likes a little bit more moist environment. Um, It's always going to be happier on the porch or balcony or patio or wherever, and it will have a better flavor outside. Now, you can grow it inside in a sunny window, but I, if you're enjoying it in uh, mojitos and tea and things like that, uh, it's going to be more flavorful and better outside. Another way you can grow it is uh, it doesn't have to be in a pot. You can put it in a hanging basket, and uh, I've seen hanging baskets with runners three feet long coming down, and uh, it's a great way to grow the mint uh, if you don't have room you know, at a ground level pop for and also hanging baskets tend to be tend to be freer of insect problems.
4: I never thought of that. That's a great idea.
1: <laughs> that's why you get to talk to me every now and then.
4: Well, I'm still wet behind the ears on gardening. I, I love the mint and in my tea and, and that's enough. I don't have to have sugar or anything. I just love it.
1: I totally agree with you. Uh, and there are so many different kinds. Regular spearmint is always good. Black stem, stem peppermint. It's beautiful as a ground cover in the yard. I know a lot of people plant it between stepping stones and things. And uh you can go to Corsican mint. You can go to orange mint, which is very strong and quite a vigorous grower there. You can easily find t- 10 different uh, types of mint to grow, and I think you'll enjoy all of them.
4: Okay, and that product was Sluggo.
1: Sluggo Plus.
4: Sluggo Plus,
12: great.
1: Yeah. And you call me anytime I, I can help. Thank you so much. It's <laughs> so my pleasure, Stephanie. You have a wonderful Thank Mother's you Day. Too. Thank you. you. Too.
4: Thank you. Bye
1: bye. Hey, bye. All right. Uh, next up is Butch. Good morning, Butch.
10: Good morning, sir. How
11: are
1: you? You kind of faded Hello? out there. Yes, sir. That's I hear you fine morning. now. How are you today? huh. I'm fantastic doing off to a, well, radio show's almost over. I don't know how it goes by so quickly, but uh, it's uh, it's going to be a beautiful weekend out there. The temperature yes, okay. is just enjoy being unbelievable. Yes, sir.
10: A uh, couple of things to help our yard out. Uh, the nematodes, do you put those out like in a watering can, or would you spray them through a, a hand-pump sprayer? It depends on how much area you have
1: to cover. If it's a small area, I think your watering can is the best way to go. If you're doing uh, several thousand square feet of grass, I go with the sprayer on the end of the hose. But uh, it just depends on how big an area you need to cover.
10: Okay, but uh, a pressure tank uh, sprayer, would that damage the nematodes as they come out with the water hose? You know, I, I worry more about the pressure
1: being built up because if you're like me, I, when I'm using that, that pump up sprayer, uh, I'm pumping it up so I don't have to stop and pump real often and that can actually create enough pressure to cause some problems. So, uh, I think the hose in sprayer is better. You want to pull up, pull off that little, uh, uh, filter over the top of the siphon tube, but uh, uh, pump-up sprayer would probably be my last option. I'm going to use watering can or a hose-in sprayer most of the time.
10: Got it. The second one is that we have some areas where the damage is fairly evident from the uh, grubs and stuff like that. If, is the palmetto the best for the shaded type area, heavier
1: shade area? Uh, Delmar and Palmetto are both real good for shady areas. Now, if the areas, the damaged areas aren't too big, St. Augustine will grow in very quickly from the surrounding areas. It loves fertilizer. I put a little compost over areas where... uh that it's not too widespread, but uh, if you if you need to get additional grass, first place I'd go is go dig up some of it out of your better St. Augustine. And if it's last resort, if you need to go buy it, Palmetto and Del Mar are the two best varieties for shade.
10: Then uh, Is there any place around that? I know last year we were looking for some, and it was really hard to find. Is there any places you know? start with thomas start with thomas stone and landscape
1: i don't know you know so many places just they they want to sell several squares of it at a time right. but my first call would be to thomas stone and landscape uh you might also check with dell's grass farm because they grow their own grass uh they're a little more reasonable sometimes in the minimum quantities they can sell for you all
10: right thomas and dell we appreciate you have a great weekend and uh, pray that the economy gets back to to go on here pretty quick yeah, well every day we get one day closer and uh
1: just i just want to get away from the negativity my my thing to tell people is stay positive you know spread some happiness uh you know be, be looking at the bright side because i'm with you things are going to get better and the way we look at it is the best way we can speed it up and uh, i appreciate you Butch. you get out and have a great weekend and uh, right. we'll talk again thank you, you sir care.
10: thank you very much